Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another coronavirus episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1, read me on Bleacher Report, hear me on Radio.com and Intercom Terrestrial Stations, as well as weekly on Fox Sports Radio. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear just me, talking about what I exclusively feel are the most important or interesting topics in the sports world, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA on any given day. And that's here. So... I was making an appearance on another podcast, B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman's Pure Hoop Pod, which led me down memory lane, which led me to talking about something I learned very early on in my career covering the NBA that I'd forgotten, which led me to thinking about why I struggle keeping a balanced perspective about draft prospects such as LaMelo Ball and James Wiseman, and maybe even to a certain extent, R.J. Hampton all three of whom were in a story that I recently wrote for Bleacher Report about this draft and the challenge for NBA GMs and teams in drafting without being able to meet in person, interview, or have private workouts, or even the draft combine. All of that, as of right now, is by the boards, and teams are going to have to draft based on all of the work that they've done to this point, and all of the film and tape that they can gather on players that they intend on drafting. We say tape, we say film. It's actually all videos, all digital, but you know, those are the the phrases that we use and so uh, I'm going to continue to use them because everybody else does. It also as seemingly so many roads in basketball do today leads this subject leads to one of the reasons I struggle with LeBron James' impact on the game. And let me be clear here in case I forget to say it later. I don't struggle with LeBron James, the person. This is what grates on me anytime someone tries to dumb down a conversation about sports or a player or a team and tries to make it all about love and hate. Oh, you love them. Oh, you hate them. Look, LeBron, the person, although I can't claim to be an expert on that part of him, seems to be pretty terrific. His story alone, where he came from, uh, what he had to overcome, what he's become, 
uh, the family man that he is. And just you see glimpses. You don't know how true all of everything that you see is. But I get the sense that he's just he's a good dude. And so to be critical of him or to question certain things that he's done or the impact that he's had, uh, to me, that's it's not love or hate. That's part of my job. And you can either consume it or you can leave it alone. But the idea that I'm not supposed to do that or that I have some uh, precondition to say something about LeBron in a certain way, come on. We, let's get past that. I know we're. Not, I know some of you are not, but for the most for the most part, uh, I, I try to start with a blank slate every time. Now, his impact on the game of basketball and the NBA—that's where I struggle, and and largely because I love the game and I love the league, and I know what it's been, and I know what I hope it can continue to be, and while. There's some amazing things that LeBron has done. There's certain things where he's been the Pied Piper that I just don't believe are good for the overall game. Uh, And as someone who has long loved the game of basketball and all that it can do and be, I am going to call out anything and anyone that I think is mistreating it or causing it harm or simply even by uh, no, no intent but nonetheless leading it in the wrong direction. The reminiscence the other pod led me to was the first NBA Finals I covered as a full-time NBA beat writer. 1993, Chicago Bulls versus Phoenix Suns, Michael Jordan versus Charles Barkley. Hard to find a better Finals to start your career with as far as storylines or anything else. If Iowa didn't already love the NBA, and I did before that, which is why I wanted to become a beat writer, wanted to become the foremost authority on the league. Uh, that finals did it for me. Now, <laughs> the subsequent finals between the Knicks and the Rockets nearly took it out of me. Uh, that was a, a finals that was marred, obviously, by the O.J. Simpson chase, the white Bronco, and was just a tough, tough series to watch and to follow and to cover. And I admittedly, halfway through it, I had been asked if I wanted to cover, uh, be part of our our newspaper's World Cup coverage. And in spite of the fact that I grew up playing soccer and that was my game in college, I thought, no, you know, I'm I'm, I'm invested in the NBA. This is what I want to be. This is where I want to go. I'm not going to take a detour. Halfway through that Nets, I mean, excuse me, that Knicks Rocket series, I was ready to take a detour. It was too late to get credentials, but I made the call. I was like, hey, if you need somebody, I'm available. So, uh, but the memory I had from the Bulls' sons, or one of them, was how Jordan decided going into that series that he was going to focus on taking Thunder Dan Marley out of it. Unleash the full powers of his first team all-defense abilities. Uh, and the, the, the pod with B.J. Armstrong, who was on that team, and they were asking me about my, my memories of covering the, covering the playoffs and my, my biggest memory, and I started with the first one. Uh, 
Um, now, Jordan shutting down Marley maybe was out of the unquenchable desire to prove no one was close to him. And Marley happened to be an all-star shooting guard from the West and second team all-defense right behind first-teamer Jordan. In any event, he went into that series and decided the first half of game one, Dan Marley was not going to touch the ball. I want to say it was the first half of game one that he decided to neuter Marley. But it was a few years ago, and I've seen a lot of games since, and as much research as I did to find the halftime stats or a play-by-play rundown from that game, I couldn't double-check if that was the game. Pretty certain Pretty certain it was. I'd say 96% certain. The Bulls collectively held the high-flying Suns to 41 first-half points for a 10-point lead all of which led to a first-game win and a steal of the Suns' home court advantage in the series right out of the gate. So I say all that because it fit with how I knew or would expect Jordan to approach a series. Got to put a stranglehold, got to take away what the Suns earned over the course of the season, want to do it game one, and want to prove a point about who, the without question, is the best two-guard. And... Here's the choke point. Let me take this particular guy completely out of it because it won't it won't only help us win this game, it won't help the Bulls win this game, but it's going to set a precedent that the Suns are now going to have to think about going forward. Recalling all that on the pod reminded me of the evolution from Bird and Magic to Jordan. Bird and Magic would figure out which part of the game they could dominate in order to win, and then they would go about doing that. And it was generally at the offensive end. If it was facilitating, if it was shooting from range, whatever it might be, uh, around the basket, whatever it might be, they they, they had the wherewithal to do whatever was necessary, even play center in the case of Magic. But Bird, while is not thought of as the passer that Magic uh, was, Bird was pretty damn close. If he wanted to be a facilitator, if he wanted to create easy baskets for everybody else, he could certainly do that. What they couldn't do is dominate the game at the defensive end. Now, Jordan was so good, so versatile, so accomplished at both ends, especially at the height of his power, that he could unilaterally decide which part of the game he wanted to dominate in order to win. If he needed to go get 50, he'd go get 50. Or if he decided, that's how I'm going to win this game. I'm going to go get 50. If it was, I'm going to suffocate Dan Marley, then that's what he would do. But he could decide. It was, it was, that's where the evolution, that's where Jordan's game was a step above bird and magic. As much fun as it was to watch them, neither one of them defensively could put a stranglehold on a game the way Jordan could. Now, for just a moment, compare that to LeBron, who I've always felt could have been more dominant than Jordan, simply because of the physical gifts that he has. Much bigger, much stronger, It's still with skills to handle and score in a multitude of ways. 
But I ask you this, how many times have you watched him completely dominate a game from beginning to end? Or even a half? There have been times he's done it, for sure. But they are select times. Even in the playoffs, he has had games where you wondered what the hell was going on with him. Forget about dominating. Be present. Be a factor. You never, ever had that thought with Jordan. And I can't wait until ESPN's 10-part series comes out for all of the more uh, present-day writers, reporters, uh, LeBron stands, basically, who have made this case that, hey, everybody says Jordan's the best, but you know what? This is why LeBron really is. I dare say, if that 10-part series gives just the slightest glimpse of what Jordan was and what he was every night, you I mean, I've seen some of the, the clips, the preview clips. It already <laughs> gives you an inkling. Oh, that's the difference between Jordan and LeBron. Because Jordan, whether it was in practice, whether it was in a game, he was going for the jugular. And he was doing it every damn night, every damn day. Now, what does this have to do with this year's draft prospects? It's that the idea of turning it on and off has become acceptable. James Wiseman, upset that he had been suspended because he accepted money as a high school player from his future coach, Penny Hardaway, opted not to wait out the NCAA's 12-game suspension. Playing was not worth waiting. And how much outrage have you heard over that decision? I haven't heard any. I mean, there might have been some. I haven't heard any. I haven't heard anybody questioning Wiseman's character, his devotion to the game. The any It, it certainly hasn't been raised as a reason that he shouldn't be the number one pick. Now, I don't believe in the NCAA's uneven and overzealous application of rules and regulations, but Wiseman chose to spend an entire year of not playing when he could have. Would he have missed 12 games? Yes. But no motivation to stick it to the NCAA by leading the Tigers to an NCAA tourney run? No desire to show the world he was the best big man in college this year? Nope. Let's just sit this out and wait for the NBA draft to roll around, knowing that I've shown enough to be drafted somewhere among the first six picks. And by the way, NBA execs aren't buying that LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton shut down their NBL uh, National Basketball League uh, seasons in Australia because of injury. It They believe, at least the ones that I've talked to, that they both got their shoe deals, figured they'd done enough to be lottery picks. They made a business decision. And continuing to play wasn't part of it. And again, no one took exception to them doing it. This, to me, is the example that LeBron has set. No one has been more shrewd in realizing and utilizing his influence. No player has enjoyed more freedom or autonomy before in the history of the game. That's for sure. 
And I give him credit. He paved the way for superstars in particular to wield their power, and every superstar that follows in his footsteps has him to thank for it. If you don't like the Kawhi Leonard load manages, even though I believe it's simply because he's trying to get through a season and realizes, you know what, I want to be in the best shape when it comes to playoff time because that's what I'm going to be judged by. The fact of the matter that it's accepted and that he's comfortable doing it He's the next generation. Don't think of him as a as as on the same in the same generation as LeBron. He's 7 years behind. He's the next iteration. So all of it Kawhi, James Wiseman, go down the line. The good and the bad. LeBron is as powerful as any player has ever been. And it has created a lot of liberty for players. Or players have realized that, hey, I can do this. Or I can get away from this. Well, make no mistake. That freedom and autonomy comes with a price. Now, I've asked, I'm asked all the time by students if they could talk to me about getting into the business and doing what I do. And I'll be honest, those that give their primary reason, for any of you out there that are listening and are hoping to pick my brain someday, here's a little bit of advice. Those that give their primary reason for wanting to do so as their love of sports, I generally don't respond to. Because the dirty secret is that if and when you get into the job of covering sports, you have to accept the harsh reality that it is a business not the sepia tone nightly version of Hoosiers or Rudy that you might have come to believe sitting in the stands as a kid and watching commercials and puff piece interviews. It can't be about your love for sports because your view of sports will change the instant that it becomes a job covering sports. If you want to do it for some, re- some other reason, you love storytelling. You want to bring something new and different to the world of sports. A, uh, a psychology, a mindset, a discipline that you think could apply, that would shift things. That's why I don't, I don't begrudge the mathematicians and the analytics majors who have applied what they find enjoyable and what their Uh, expertise is to the world of sports. They brought something new. Same when it comes to uh, sports medicine or new ways of training. I'm I'm intrigued by all that because you're giving me something that makes me think and look at sports in a different way. That has to be the heart of it because the love, the love is going to change. I, I was reminded of this when my FS1 colleagues, Jason Whitlock and Marcellus Wiley, picked their four favorite football players. And I did the same. And I picked Mike Reed, because he had the biggest influence, Bengals uh, defensive lineman, had the biggest impact on me because he was also a pianist. And I read a piece in Sports Illustrated about the fact that You know, sometimes he would sit down at the piano and his hands were so beat up from playing football 
that uh, he struggled, but he still was doing both. And that to me was proof that you could be more than one thing. You could be an athlete, you could be physical, you could be tough, and you could also be an artist. You could, you could marry those two sides, you could pursue more than one, and they, they actually might help the other. Uh, I'm trying to think some of the, John Taylor, who was on the other side of the field from Jerry Rice. I just like the way John Taylor went about his business. He was a quiet guy, was overlooked compared to Jerry, in some ways was just as good. So, but it got me to thinking about the fact that the players that, if you, if you ask me baseball, I'd probably go to Bobby Tolan. Was, um had a big fro and held his bat up his uh, high behind his his ear I had a unique uh, batting style had big lamb chop sideburns I just thought he was the epitome of cool as a kid I don't know seven eight nine years old but it made me realize in thinking about favorite athletes that the ones that I really cherish Booby Clark from the Bengals Otis Sistrunk from the Raiders are uh, Barry Sanders, who I saw play in college. It, it, was, it was all athletes largely before I got into the profession. Now, it's not that I don't appreciate and got to know players on a much deeper level covering them and, and guys that I like and I admire and respect but it's a completely different relationship. That's why the whole, you know, you're a homer, you love, you hate, like all that. No, I did that when I was a fan. Once you get into the business, it turns something off. And it was a strange shift for me when I went into radio. And even now, because you go from, like now it's it's allowed in my job as a, uh, I don't know, analyst, host, the shows that I'm on uh, for FS1 or radio.com to talk about my personal preferences or my personal feelings about players or people or situations. When you're a beat writer, when you're a reporter, you're, you're supposed to maintain a certain level of objectivity, even though there is no such thing. And so I'm, I'm fighting that a little bit. Seven years of doing radio has uh, weaned me basically from always taking or pretending or trying to take a objective view. In radio, we want to deal with emotions. I'm, I'm in, what I found on radio is that my listeners were kind of expecting me to be as much of a fan as they were. And as a radio host... You don't spend as much time talking to guys uh, in the locker room and behind the scenes. And, uh, and if you do, it's kind of to, to build relationships to have them on your show. It's just it's just a completely different approach to the business. And I'm sure you've heard radio hosts who sound, actually maybe admittedly say they're homers. I... You know, we'll say I'm a, 
I'm a Yankees fan or I'm a 49ers fan or whatever. That <laughs> When you were a beat writer, when you were a newspaper reporter, that was something that you you never copped to, even if it was true. And, and in most cases, you just couldn't. You couldn't do the job. You couldn't do the job accurately or fairly if you were a fan. It would become painfully obvious. All right, so all of that is why if you reach out to me and say, yeah, I want to talk to you about what you do. I want to do what you do because I love sports. Probably not going to get back to you because that's not a good enough reason, to be honest with you. Millions of people love sports. Not a million, millions of people don't work in sports covering sports. And they're probably the lucky ones because they get to maintain their relationship with sports that first drew it to them or drew them to it in the first place. So it then then the job becomes, okay, so you're in covering sports. The job becomes the task of finding redeeming value in sports. The moments when the participants rise above their business interests and their physical well-being to prove something, I don't know, ethereal, intangible. The great coaches have the ability to get the great professional coaches, that is, doesn't matter the sport, gets the players to put aside their own agendas, their own desire to make money, their own contracts, their own interests, to play for something bigger, bigger than all of them. And it takes a little bit of a mind trick to do it. And the coaches, first of all, got to convince the players that that's the way he's approaching it, that this isn't for his personal gain, his personal interest, his contract. It's, I want to do this because I believe that we can do this together. And we have this rare opportunity that we may not get again. So let's go do it. Because what we're going to accomplish is better than, than the money, the contract, the whatever, the material rewards. So here's the thing. That's what Jordan did all the time. You never, ever doubted that Jordan wanted to go out on the floor on every single night and prove that he was the best. Not have make the most, not score the most points, not have the shiniest box score. None of that. He wanted to prove that he was the best player. And he would not say it. You wouldn't say, you'd show me where he said it. He never said it. He knew it wasn't for him to say. What he wanted was to play in a way that made you say it. Now, again, and this, I'm sure this will be revealed in the 10-part series. Not comparatively, but after you watch the 10-part series, series, you'll know all that I know about Michael Jordan. Again, let's compare it to LeBron. Does he play for something bigger all the time? LeBron came into the league saying he wanted to be the first billion-dollar athlete. That was his goal. Is that ethereal? Is that intangible? No. That's a business interest. Straight up. And I got... I don't, I don't begrudge him taking that approach. Hey, 
He comes from where he came from. That's the most important thing to him. Cool. But it's not what draws me to sports. It's not the redeeming value that I'm looking for. So if you ask me which one I respect more, Jordan or LeBron, look, it's and it's I'm not saying LeBron never played for something greater. Never tried to pull a team together to play for something greater. He went to Miami, essentially, because he knew that it couldn't be just business interest. Now, he may have gone to Miami thinking, i got to win a championship because the business interest is never going to happen if I'm, a, if I'm not a champion. But nonetheless, he made the sacrifice. He kowtowed to Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra and Dwayne Wade. He became part of that deal. He did what they asked him to do. Not so much the first year, still with growing pains, but by the second year, he made enough sacrifices where they were able to get it done. And yet, for all that, he has been crowned and celebrated and hoisted up on a pedestal that for some looks down on Jordan or at the very least puts him on the same level. By doing what? By selectively deciding when it made the most sense for him to play, to go all out, to exert his full influence on a game. And I don't care how much of a LeBron acolyte you are, you cannot say that there have not been times where LeBron downshifts, where he says, say my night, I ain't going for it. Now, the result is, that he's lasted a lot longer than Jordan did. Seeing the game bend toward him with its adoption of small ball league-wide, which leaves LeBron as the biggest player on the floor most nights. Again, you watch the 10-part series. You see who Jordan plays against. You see the physicality of what he played against. You compare that to what LeBron goes up against now. <laughs> There's no comparison. And by the way, LeBron's the biggest man on the floor, and yet he handles the ball more than any big man ever has. Now, LeBron didn't cause that. Let's be clear. He just benefited from it. LeBron didn't usher in small ball. Whether you want to say Phoenix Suns did, you want to go before that, you want to say Don Nelson with the Warriors, you want to say Steve Kerr and Draymond Green and Mark Jackson led to small ball. That evolution, wherever you want to say the starting point was, LeBron had no part of it. He just benefited from it. Whereas Jordan bent the game to him. He didn't change it. He didn't change the way everybody plays. He just took over and became the first two guard to lead a team to a championship. Six times, no less. And he did it not by changing the rules, not by playing the game a different way, but by developing the skills to dominate the game in a different way every night. And he did it by his mid to late 20s. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This season was as close as I've seen LeBron get to having a complete game offensively. There's the shooting range, footwork around the basket, the mid-range step back. It's been a treat. He's always been a great passer. But just imagine if he developed all that five years ago. Or ten. I guarantee he sure as hell would have had more than three rings and nine trips to the finals. Now, as I said before, there's no such thing as pure objectivity when it comes to evaluating a player or a sport. We're all colored by how we were taught the game, who taught it to us, the principles we value most. I thought a lot about my measuring sticks for athletic excellence, what I value and why. One prerequisite for me to respect the player is to believe that they hunger to play the game as much or more than I did. And that they not tell me, but that they show me. Guys who, whatever their level is, when they're getting the most out of who they are, that's, I have tremendous respect for. I have more respect for that than anything else. Juwan Howard, not particularly gifted by NBA standards. And yet, he got everything possible out of what he could do. Number of guys like that. Uh, and again, I don't need him to tell me. I want him to show me. Because they get the honor of playing the game more than most of us at the highest level. And they get to be richly rewarded for it. Although that in their minds and mine is secondary. It's that they get to play this game. They get to work at it. It gets to be their craft. And they get to play it at the highest level. And while I know the business and the politics of it can wear down a player's desire to play the same way it can a sports writer's desire to find the joy in it. The desire has to be so deep that you're willing to still devote yourself to it, even if it shows itself to be something other than what you thought. By the way, I'm beginning to think we are going to see the season resumed. Obviously, authorities outside the NBA have something to say about that, as does the virus and our collective effort to make it subside. 
But there are too many executives I've talked to that believe it's going to happen. I'll provide more details as I get them, but I firmly believe that the league wants it to happen. No matter how unusual or extreme the measures needed, it has the means to do so. All right. That does it for this episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends, part of the United WeCast Network. Uh, please rate and review the show wherever you get your podcast, iTunes or wherever, and then screenshot that review or rating and send it to at Buker Friends and you will be eligible to win uh, a t-shirt from Kobe Bryant and Gianna Bryant's memorial. They only gave it out to people who attended the uh, memorial. I happen to have one. I have an extra one. And it's a large. So if that fits, if you're thinking of hanging it on your wall, whatever you plan on doing with it, I have one and I have one size. In the next podcast, I'll be joined either by Will Blackman or Ryan Hollins. Or we may do another Buker Friendless episode. Or I may find... An NBA guest. Not sure which direction we're going to go, but we will be here for you. In the meantime, as always, and especially now, stay safe and thanks for listening. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 